Um, most of you come here, and so you know that we do something. And that is we have people from the congregation preach regularly, okay? And we love doing that. It's been an amazing thing to do because God speaks to everyone, and he's speaking through everyone to everyone to give a much broader picture of what he's trying to say and do and so on. And this is really an extraordinary thing about what God has led us to do here that I absolutely have fallen in love with. Now, I said at the beginning of this year that one of the things that we would be doing this particular fall into the first of the year is we'd be having millennial voices be the only people that speak during this time. I wanted all millennial voices. And I didn't know why. I just knew that God had said this is what he wanted to do. And it wasn't about trying to attract millennials or anything like that. It was just something I felt like God told me to do. And I didn't quite know why. But after a couple of things have happened, I'm going to explain in a second, I think I'm able to articulate why he said that. And let me just be clear to you millennials from all of us older people. We're worried about you. <laughs> we're worried. There's an issue here. Now, let me say really quickly from millennials back to old people. Yeah, we're worried about you because you seem to be kind of out of touch. Okay, and there's a truth in both of these things, but let me just explain to you from the older perspective what we're worried about with the millennials because you're going to see something really cool here in a minute. What we're worried about is you seem to have a very tenuous grasp on true. What's true? You'll hear all the time this expression. Well, that's your truth. My truth is this. That is, you can't say that those are not real words. Those are not words being used properly. That's your opinion. That's what you think. And this is what I think. But that doesn't make it true. Just because you believe it doesn't make it true. That's not how truth works. <laughs> truth is, and you're either in truth or you're not. <laughs> so that's it. Right? That's the nature of truth. Now, that's not how we think about it anymore, though, is it? See what I mean? We think about things in very, very relativistic and contextual and so on. And there's a lot of truth in that, actually, to be had that God has brought out. But the bottom line is, is that there is this issue about truth that is a concern in the world today. Now, here's what I learned last week listening to Robert Kelly, who absolutely knocked it out of the park. What I learned was, this is not about millennials. This is not an age issue whatsoever. This is simply about this. If you are following and trying to get closer to God, then you are lining up with the truth evermore in a way that the things that are happening in you are true for every generation. And Robert Kelly, a young person, spoke in a way that absolutely laid me bare because he was speaking the truth as a person who's seeking after him who is the truth, right? So what we're seeing is not a millennial issue in the world. What we're seeing is, is that there's a whole lot of people that just aren't going after God anymore. And when you don't go after God, you end up getting spun out. <laughs> you end up just kind of drifting off in other directions, thinking that this is true, feeling like this is true, but it isn't. And there's things that'll happen, and we're going to be talking about some of that here in just a moment. But the bottom line is, is, is what, what I think God wanted to show us was, and Becca Joe, you're next, is that there is an extraordinary amount of truth in everybody who is following after God. This is not a millennial issue, which is a praise God, right? 
Except in the other part of it, which is, wow, so many people are not following after God at this point in time that things are getting really iffy. Things are really getting dicey, right? Now, here's what Robert did in his sermon. He pointed out many things, but there was two truths that tee us up for this week. Literally, you know, what, what he did last week drove us down the fairway, and then we're cheating right now, but he teed us up so that we could hit in the fairway, we could knock it ever closer to the hole, Right? So the bottom line is, is the first thing that he does, he says, human beings are incredibly fickle, much more so than what we know. In fact, the way that the word says it is, uh, I mean, not have my clicker, there you go, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Now listen to this, who really knows how bad it is? Now here's what, the, here's what God is saying through the prophet to us, you don't even know how bad your heart is. <laughs> You don't really get it. I'm the only one who gets how really messed up that thing is. You guys are infinitely malleable. There is this thing that talks about in the scripture. You build your house on the rock and it'll stand. You don't and you're tossed to and fro by all of the waves and winds and things that happen in the culture. And you just get dashed on the rocks as you get tossed back and forth. See this? So what's happening is the human heart is, in fact, prone to error, prone to self, which is why it says everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious holiness. How are we defining holiness? It, right here, it means different than, but let me define it for you right now. Holiness in God is perfect, absolutely true, Absolutely perfect, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely everything perfect. That's who God is. And what he's saying is nobody lines up with that. Everybody at some point in time chooses something other than who he is. See that? So that's what we're doing, and that's what Robert pointed out last week in ways that when he started talking about what it was like, if you didn't hear the sermon do, it, when he started talking about how as a, as a smart young man, initially in his job, he was, uh, you know, confused and didn't know what was going on and so on. But then as he got better at it, yes, very much, thank you. Thank you, Tenny. So he got very much better at it. What happened was, is that once he got better at it, then pride started to come in. And so that was an evil. And the world, in the, in the profession that he's in, he can make a lot of money. And he would get to where he would be, by the world's way of thinking about things, justified in thinking that he was better than other people who hadn't been able to be as successful as he was. And he said, that's evil. And the way that he knew that it was evil was that he correctly pointed to what tells us what is truly evil and not. And that's the word. This is the way that the word describes itself. All scripture is inspired by God, which is to say God breathed. God is the one, you're the author, but God inspired you to write in a certain fashion. As a person who writes a lot of things under inspiration, you can totally tell when you're in God and the minute that you get outside of God. You know, I, I could still write about this, it'd be interesting, we could talk about it, but it wouldn't be the life, the anointing, the thing that God was saying. 
So these authors were being, it wasn't like God took their hand and moved them around the letters. Of course it was going through their personality, but the bottom line was, is they were writing things the way God wanted them written down, just like he instructed Bezalel by the anointing of the Spirit to build a tabernacle exactly right so that it would witness heaven to earth. And that's what these words do. They witness God who is true to us, which is to say the word is a plumb line in the world. It is absolutely true. And God needed to put it there. Why? Because we're fickle. <laughs> because we can get thinking that this is true and this is true and that is true and this is true. But then when we come to the word, what it does is it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do that uh, teaches us to do what is right. God used it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, here's why that's so important right now in today's world. Because there's an attack on that scripture, that truth, which is to say an attack on the Bible that is the worst I've ever seen and the broadest that I've ever seen. And what I mean by that is, is people are getting the Bible to say what they want it to say. They're not going to the word and letting it correct them because it's true and we're not. They're saying, I'm right, and so you mean this. And they're making the word say what they want it to say. This is what's happening in the world hugely. Now, I'm going to take you a little bit further here, but I just want you to see this. This is the way, look, the, the time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. The stuff that corrects, that, 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 right, that exhorts. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. The ESV correct, does a, a little bit of translation on that last part. It says, they'll find teachers who will line up with their passions. <laughs> See it? Whatever they are, that, that deceitful heart. So they'll find teachers that will say that to them, what they want. See it? So we're in trouble here. Now, we've been saying something for about three years now, and that is basically boiled down to this. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth. What's he mad at? Is he mad at people? Not really. What he's mad at is, is if you're trying to push the truth away from you, if you're trying to push the truth down to where you don't have to deal with it. They know the truth about God because he made it obvious ever since the world was created. People have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. They have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God in their hearts, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, now listen to this, as a result, their minds became dark and confused. As they pushed the truth away, they became confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became fools, utter fools. They traded the truth of, about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things of God, create the things God created, instead of the creator himself. Now, I'm, I'm going to take you to the message on this because it's going to say the same thing, but this is one of those instances where the message captures a life captures a spirit in this thing. God's displeasure erupts as people put a shroud over truth because he's true. 
They're shrouding him. The basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes, there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but they didn't treat him like God. Refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction in their lives. They pretended and thought that they knew it all, but were illiterate regarding life, God, and everything else. God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. If you don't want me, you won't get me, who is true. All this because they traded the true God for a fake God, and here's the part I love the most, and worship the God they made instead of the God that made them. Isn't that a great line? And this is true, right? This is, this is what we're experiencing in this world right now in ways that are frightening. The, the extent of this is amazing. And anybody who's pursuing the truth gets in a conversation with somebody who's not or sees somebody who's not, and you just go, what the heck? <laughs> and it's not about age and millennials or anything else, right? Now, we have to understand something. What Robert talked about last week, rightly, fallibility of man, truth of the word, God himself being true and expressing it to us. There is one more thing that the word tells us is going on in this. And that is, while we're fallible, we're also being manipulated. The ancient serpent who was called the devil, Satan, who deceives the whole world. There is an enemy who's trying to make us more confused. He's trying to still kill and destroy our relationship with the truth, God. He's trying to still that relationship away in a way that will kill and destroy you. And so Peter says, be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. So this is what's going on in the world. Now, she said, are you preaching about judgment? Yeah, I am. <laughs> but you see, I've got a smile on my face, and that's not because, that's because I just don't want to cry. <laughs> but this is, this is unbelievable what's taking place in the world right now. And what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be going and seeing this on ever deeper levels in ever more profound ways. Because I want us to get a lay of the land because the Lord's going to be doing something over these next couple of weeks that's going to be super important for what he's trying to do to get this all flipped back right side up. Okay? We have in our malleability, we get it wrong a little bit, just a little and then we just add to that a little bit more, and then we add to that a little bit more, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. And all of a sudden, at some point in time, we are 180 degrees wrong. That's where Satan is trying to get us, and we need to not go there. So who's our prayer? Andy, Davey, this is, this is fantastic. The, uh, the, I want to go to the brew house with you, Andy. <laughs> So uh, a man of God and a family that is being raised in a godly manner uh, with truth, with, the, with it done in loving, gracious ways, but true. Love how you're parenting, love how you're raising your children and your friends and so on. So pray for the sermon, pray for another church, would you?
Heavenly Father, we, um, we lift up the service before you this morning. Lord, I just pray that um, the words that you've given Kurt to speak this morning, that they would uh, find good soil in our hearts this morning. Lord, that it would affect real change in um, the way that we live and the way that we, uh, we think and that it wouldn't just be uh, another Sunday. Father, I also want to lift up uh, the churches of downtown Seattle. Father, there'd be a tough game. I just pray that, Lord, that uh, that your word would go forth from there, that you would change lives, that that would be real um, that truth, real, that it wouldn't be uh, cl- uh, clouded out by um, man's way of thinking or our way of thinking, that you, know, that you would have real uh, influence in that city, Lord. In Thank Jesus' you. name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Andy. All right, now, the verse that he took us to, touched on, in fact, which teases us up for today, is this one right here. Oh, just like, remember what the story was. It's, the, it's uh, the, vineyard, the vineyard owner takes a trip. He puts people in charge of the vineyard. What he's saying is, is God went away, and the Jewish people were supposed to be in charge of the vineyard. And what they did was, is that when God sent someone to them, to get from them what he was wanting, which was relationship, which was love, which was worship. Instead, what they would do is they would beat up the prophets, right? And so after several of these kind of roads, rotations have happened, I remember this is Jesus, who is God, talking to the Jewish people. I'm not looking at you. To the Jewish people. <laughs> you see what I mean? And what happens is, is that what he does is that he says, and now this vineyard owner finally says, I'll send my son because surely they won't do this to my son. And instead, what they say in their hearts is, ah, if we kill the son, then we're going to get all of this for ourselves and we can do whatever we want. Now, this is Jesus talking to these religious leaders who are going to kill him in a couple of days. So this moment is unbelievably profound. And then what he says, in order to try and get them to stop, in order to give them yet one more opportunity to repent and not go down this road, what he says is, what's the meaning of this scripture? See, he's asking him a question. Tell me what this means, because I'm telling you what it means. You're rejecting me. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone is broken to pieces. If, anyone, if it falls on anyone, grind it into powder. But the thing that we're looking at right now is cornerstone. Cornerstone. Now, because we don't build our own houses anymore, because we don't build our own buildings anymore, the kinds of things that people that were listening to Jesus talk about this, they did this all the time. And because we now build differently. In that day, they didn't build a foundation down into the ground. They just got great big stones, and then they made the stones and stacked the stones up on the ground, and that's how they made the building that they were making. They didn't do foundations like we do. They didn't have concrete and all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line was, is that what a cornerstone is, is that. Okay, now I want you to see two things about this that are metaphors, very important metaphors. The first thing is, the the cornerstone is what sets everything that flows out. Not only to the right and the left, but up too. So metaphorically, if you get Jesus right in your heart, then everything you do this way and everything you do this way and everything you do this way is going to be lined up with him. You've got to set the cornerstone right in order to get the rest of it lined up right. If you don't, then you're going to be discombobulated in your dimensions and it's going to cause you a problem. 
See? So that's the first part of the metaphor. But the second part of it is the one that's applicable to today. And that is, look at how much bigger that stone is. In a normal Middle Eastern home in the day, the size of those other stones is not like, not like a brick like we have. It would be a stone like this. It would be a good-sized stone that is going to last through attackers and through all kinds of things. So the stones that they do were good-sized. And look at how much larger the cornerstone is than that stone. If you drop a stone that big on your foot, it's going to break your foot. But if that big stone falls on you, it's going to crush you. It's going to powder you which is the other way of translating this verse when it says, if, if it falls on anyone, it'll grind him to powder. Okay? And the grind him to powder has a little bit of that millstone thing. It's just going to absolutely pulverize you. That might be the more modern way of saying that. When that stone falls on you, it's going to pulverize you. There's nothing left. That's it. It's over. See what I mean? You can't put it back together again. Now, that's what he's saying, and that's what this all means. But there's another part of this verse that's a little more enigmatic. It's still pretty simple to figure out. But when he says, oops, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Now, what's that mean? Robert dealt with it last time, but let me just do it here again. Here's what's being said. Exactly what we've been saying already. The heart is wicked. There is air in you that you don't even know about. It needs to be broken. Jesus is the one who is true and can get to it and break it. And he's the only one. You can't do it. But he can take the things that you are doing that are wrong and he can break them so that he can create in you something that is new and true. You see it? So what he's saying is you've got to fall on Jesus. Right? Now, here's what the problem is. That is not what we believe anymore. Wait, wait, Kurt, we all get this. What I just said, everybody in here already gets this. That's true. But I want to show you something now. You remember how we've been talking about cognitive dissonance a lot in the last three years? Cognitive dissonance is this. You have two ideas in your head, and you know that there's a problem between the two of them, that they both can't be true. There are things called paradoxes where they're both true. We're not talking about paradoxes. We're talking about two ideas that are contradictory. And you know that they're contradictory. And so they create a tension in you. That's the dissonance part. There's a thoughtful tension that's in you because two things are not agreeing with each other. And you are supposed to take those two things and figure out where that dissonance is so that you come to the truth. These are invitations to find deeper truth. But here's what's happening in today's world. We don't have cognitive dissonance anymore. We just have cognitive uh, difference. And it doesn't mean anything. Dissonance is understanding those two things are contradictory with each other. All the time anymore, we have this belief and we have this belief. And we don't even know that they contradict each other. So there's no dissonance in us about it. We just hold on to this and we hold on to this because this one fits this instance and this one fits this instance and I'm happy. 
This is what's happening. And I'm not just saying this in the sermon that I did on this and a couple of them. I've showed you research about this. This is a, this is a huge thing about how we're literally, because of distraction and devices and so on, we are literally wiring our brains differently. We are not what they call crystallizing knowledge, which is getting it all to line up and become concrete, the kind of thing that is something you can build on. Instead, what we have is these little thought bubbles all over the place, and they don't have to agree with each other anymore. We don't even know that they don't agree with each other. Now, let me show you an instance where this happens, okay? 70% of Americans say that they're Christian. They self-identify as Christian, 70%. That's a pretty high number, right? Now, 77% say that being a good person who does good works gets you into heaven. Now, 70% of people say that they're Christians. And here's what it means to be a Christian. You follow Christ, who did what? Died for you, because you needed to be saved. <laughs> because you couldn't save yourself. But they say they're Christians, but they say if you're a good person, it's really what's being said here is, you don't really need Jesus. You need Jesus to help you be a better person but you don't need a savior, you just need a little help because you're basically a good person. Well, the verses that we've been looking at are saying the exact opposite of that. It's not a biblical worldview. It's another way of seeing ourselves that says, I'm not that bad. And the places that I am bad aren't that bad. You see it? Now what we get here is, the reason why this is so problematic is because this is the whole Protestant Reformation. This in the history of the Western world, this is the thing. This thing right here is the thing. When the, the Catholics had come up with a religion over time that had done this thing that we talked about. A degree wrong here, a degree wrong here, a degree wrong here, a degree wrong here, a degree, until they had gotten exactly the opposite of what was true. And what was true in the Catholic religion was this. Jesus is your savior, but what does that mean? It just means God's mad at you. How's he your savior? Because what you have to do is work. And in fact, if you don't work, if, 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 you do like, if you do like pretty good on earth, and only a few people, only the ones that are sainted, did really good. So they get to bypass a made-up concept, totally made-up concept out of nothing, purgatory. What is purgatory? It's the high-pressure wash that happens after life for those sins that aren't going to keep you out of hell, but that you certainly can't get into heaven with them. So purgatory is the time where you pay for your sin. I thought that's what Jesus did. Yeah. So we've got this issue, and it wasn't a small issue. <laughs> it's like the big issue of the West in the last 600 years. So the idea is Protestants became the ones who were protesting that, and they did so because of a guy named Martin Luther who basically said this, our works do not generate right standing with God. They, our works do not get us right with God because the Catholic Church was saying our works can get us right with God. And the Bible was saying, no, they can't. You have no idea how bad it is. But the bottom line is he says, our righteousness, our being right with God in Christ is where good works flow from. Sure, there's good works that come out of it, but it's the result of something else. It's not the cause of salvation. Do you see this? So this is, this is the Protestant Reformation. This is it right here. And where did he get that from? Where did Martin Luther get that from? 
the Bible. In fact, the verse in particular that did it for him, that where the light bulb went up, was this, Ephesians. You are saved by grace through faith, and that not from yourself. It is God's gift, not from work so that no one can boast. Here's why that's so important that Martin Luther did this, just like Paul was a unique figure in all of history. Martin Luther was the guy that took his faith seriously. He was actually trying to get close to God. And what he found was the more that he tried to get close to God, all the ways the church was telling him to get right with God, the more that he took his faith seriously, the more he did, the further he knew he was from God. And so he's saying, I'm not getting closer to God in all this stuff. I'm getting further. I'm realizing how far I actually am. What am I supposed to do? And, he, and finally, you're saved by grace through faith. Which is why, now watch this, Francis said that this, this year. Today, Lutherans, Catholics, and Protestants, all of us agree on the doctrine of justification. Let me, let me parse that for you. Here's what he's saying. It's by faith, not by works. That's what the Pope just said. Now, let me tell you, there's a whole lot of Catholics that don't believe this, and if you go online and you look up that statement, what you'll get is thousands of entries by Catholic people saying, no, 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 the Pope is a heretic. On, now, listen to what he says. On this point, which is very important, says Francis. By the way, I love where Francis got this from. Francis did not grow up in the enclaves of a library. He grew up in the slums. And they learned about the God who loves and forgives and saves. And this is why he's saying this. On this point, which is very important, he did not err. You do realize he got excommunicated from the Catholic Church and called a heretic for this. For what the Pope is now saying, he didn't make a mistake. In fact, he made a medicine for the church. Don't you love that term? He made a medicine. He was curing our ill by bringing us back to the truth of the word, which is sola fide, sola scriptura. Sola fide, only faith, not works. Sola scriptura, the way that we get wrong step by step by step is we make things as authoritative as is the word. The God-breathed word. In other words, what, what some popes said or what some theologians said, we say, well, that's as important as what was written by God through these people that wrote the scriptures. But that's not true. Because that's how you add on to the word and make it become something which it is not. And so he said, it's only scripture. Those church fathers' writings are good. They're important. They can be valuable. And they can be wrong too. And the way that you know if they're right or wrong is whether or not they line up with the word and it's only the word that's true. It's not these other people. See it? So this is kind of important for a Christian, don't you think? <laughs> this whole idea is kind of important. And what we're finding is, hold the feet of faith alone, scripture alone. Here's why I'm bringing all this up. I, some of you saw me post this. Survey finds most American Christians are actually heretics. This is not hyperbole. 
This is literally going back to all those church councils that happened over those hundreds of years after Christ and the Bible and all this kind of stuff. As they were working through the revelations that were given in Jesus and what they all meant. And what would happen is one camp would believe it this way and one camp would believe it this way. And then all of a sudden we'd see, oh my gosh, that camp takes us away from the truth. And here's what's important. Here's the proper definition of a, heretic, of a heresy. Here's the proper definition right here. Anything that takes you away from a relationship with the true God. A heresy is a thing that takes us away from him. See it? That takes us in error. That's heresy because it's hurting you. It's taking you away from him who is truth. It's taking you away from the thing that would line you back up and get you right and, and you know, right? Do the surgery on you to get you fixed. And the problem is, as you go back and you look at, and I could do this in a much deeper way. I'm not going to do it. We're going to kind of fly through this next section just a little bit because I just want you to see it. But the bottom line is, I could go through this and I could show you where almost every single heresy that was defined in the first four to 500 years of the church, American Christians now believe. <laughs> almost every single one. And just to show you just a couple of examples of this, I've already shown you one, but look, here, here's what these look like. I'm going to show you a bunch of these kind of charts. And there's too much to read on there. Please don't even try and read it all. You can get the PowerPoint later or do whatever. But I'm going to highlight it by doing things like this. You see where my highlight is? So just go to my yellow highlighter. Now watch this. Heaven is a place where all people will ultimately be reunited with their loved ones. Now that's universalism. That's, what that's saying is, is everybody gets saved and everybody meets their loved ones in heaven. Okay? That, this question is specifically designed to figure out whether or not you have universalism in your thought pattern, okay? Now, I just wanna say something real quick because really smart people in here, and there's a lot of really smart people in here, you can look at that question and say, well, they just missed the word all because as Christians, we really do believe that we're gonna be reunited with the loved ones, right? But is it all? No, because of the second thing. Only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as our Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. We know that you have to get there through Christ, right? And you can make the argument, what if you never heard about Christ? If you really have that argument, please talk to me. I'll talk to you about it later, okay? But the fact is, is even in those instances, it's still through Christ. Now watch. But here's the first thing I want to show you. 60% of people believe that everybody's, 60% of the 70% that are, well, yeah, I guess you could say it that way, but that's not the right way to say it. The point is, is, 70% of the people in the country are Christian, and 60% of all the people in the country believe that everybody goes to heaven. But then they say, 54% of them say, but you can only get there through Christ. Remember when we talked about cognitive dissonance, it's now cognitive difference? This is cognitive difference. You can't say both statements. You're not supposed to be able to answer a survey and say yes to both of those. <laughs> It's either one or the other. You just, you just, it's just, it's not a paradox. It's just a logical inconsistency. I want everybody to be in heaven. Peter Lord said it beautifully about universalism. I love what he said. He said, honestly, I hope it's true. Because I would love that. The problem is I just have no biblical warrant whatsoever for saying it because it seems to say the exact opposite over and over and over again, that this is important, that we bring people to Christ. It means something. 
So cognitive dissonance. But let's just, let's just do this. Heaven is a place where all people will ultimately be reunited with their loved ones. Okay, universalism. What's the problem with universalism? What's the problem with it? Here's what it is right here. We can do this with every one of these, but we're not. I'm just doing one to show you how you can break these down. Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, went into the garden, and he went before the Lord, and he said, if there's any other way to get back to you, if there's any other way to reconcile with you, if there's any other way to get right with you again, any other way than me on the cross, then do that. Because it's cruel. It's cruel to put him on the cross if that's just one of the ways. Do you see this? And he was saying, if there's any other way to get right with you, if there's any other way to get right with me, because he's God, then don't make me go through taking upon myself all of their sin. And the minute that Jesus went to the cross, we know that there was no other way. Period. Again, people who are, who are messing with these things, trying to make them say what they want to say, they'll say, they'll use this argument, well, what about people who don't know the Lord? And again, I'm telling you, I can answer that for you, but let me do it. But let me just say something here. You're not one of the people who's never heard of Jesus if you're listening to me right now. I just told you about Jesus. So you've got to make a decision about Jesus. And if your decision is that you're going to receive him as your Lord and Savior, a person needing salvation from somebody who is going to save them from themselves, then you are saved. But if you're going to push that truth away from you, you're going to become dark and confused, deceived. See it? You're going to estrange yourself by your choice from him who loves you so much that he wanted that he did that to bring you. That picture, as bloody as it is, is the good news. Every other religion in the world says this. God is here. We are here. And what you have to do is you have to get it right, whether it's karma, whether it's doing Ramadans, whether it's doing, uh, uh, just, there's just so many different ways of doing it. But every other religious impulse, religion made in our image, there's a distance between us, I can do it. It's the same lie as came out of the garden. Oh, God knows that if you eat of it, you'll become like him. You're good, you can do it. No. The whole point of the whole Bible is you can't do it and you need him to save you. You need a God who loves you. It's not you getting to him. It's a God who loves you and comes to you to bring you back to him. He saves you and when you accept his sacrifice, you're joined with him as one and when he ascends back up into the heavenlies, into the Trinity, as we did two weeks ago in a sermon that if you did not hear, it's one of the most important sermons that's been preached in here in a long time. Two weeks ago. And I don't think I did a great job at the end because I got a little, uh, I was running out of time. But I just want to say, you need to listen to that sermon. You need to process the fact that you're not just with God. You're part of God. 
That doesn't mean your sinful flesh. That's the thing that some people wrote me and they say, are you saying the way I am right now? Because that seems like that's really messing up his image. And what we're saying is, is no, he made you new. And it's the new part of you that is the part he birthed that is perfect because it's his. And that goes back up with him in perfection. That other old stuff dies in the grave and gets buried. Okay? But having said that, the good news, and, and you do know that the word gospel is, means good news. So when we go and proclaim the gospel, we're proclaiming the good news that unlike the religious impulse that says you have to work your way to get back to him, that that won't work and instead he comes to you in love and saves you. That's exceedingly great news, right? Okay, here's another one. 60% or this is the same one. 60% of all Americans therefore have this wrong. That heaven is a place where all people will ultimately be reunited with their love. 60% of all Americans have this wrong. Watch this. 66% of evangelicals believe this. <laughs> and I'm going to really scare the heck out of you. This is the new refined definition of evangelicals. The old one was if you self-identified as an evangelical, just like people self-identify as Christians. There's a new definition that the pollsters are using which asks a few very fundamental questions. And when they ask those fundamental questions to determine who really is evangelical, what they find is 66% of those people will still agree with that statement. 66%. <laughs> That's two-thirds. Oh my gosh, something, something unbelievable is happening. It's like, it's really, the degree to which this is happening is... Well, let me go on. I just, wow. Okay, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of salvation. In the population, which is 70% Christian, only 54% of people believe that. <laughs> How can this be? Do they know anything about Christianity? Here's the character of God. Only 65% of people say that God is perfect and cannot make a mistake. <laughs> only 65%. Okay, I guess. Uh, here's the one. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 60, 64%, two-thirds of all people. 70% of the country is supposed to be Christian, and two-thirds of all people say, oh, it's all the same thing. Listen, let's just make it clear one more time, because I already did this. Jesus on the cross doesn't need to happen if the way of Islam works, because you don't have to die on a cross to get to heaven in Islam. Okay? And Jesus himself would have chosen that if it worked. Because it didn't have him on the cross. Now, I just said something horrible and it would get taken out of context, so please don't do that to me, okay? You understand the point I'm trying to make. Islam is not. I don't care. You can love Muslims. I don't, that's not the point. We're not talk, making an anti-Islamic statement. What we are saying is, is that there's, there's, there is another way of getting to God in that religion, which is not a person needing to be saved by a God who comes and saves them. You do realize that when a, a Muslim person goes to heaven, it's still not to be one with God. They just get to go to a good place, but God's still distant and all, more holy than them and different than them. So this is an entirely different way of thinking about God, about eternity, about us, about everything. And yet 64% of the people in this country will say, oh, he receives that too. 
I love this one. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. That's the one we've been dealing with, right? Quite a bit, right? The human heart is deceitful and wicked. It's not biblical to say this. But see, here's the point. We're saying things that aren't biblical all the time in church. <laughs> Christians are saying it. And they're saying it to their friends that they're trying to bring to the Lord. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the what? God help us. Everyone who falls on that stone has to be broken to pieces. We don't want to say it that way. It'll crush people that have rejected him. Even that we don't want to say. But what we want to say is if you, if you receive him, then it's all happily ever after doves and butterflies dressing you. The following behavior is sinful. Sex outside of marriage, 50%. 70% of the America calls themselves Christian, and only 50% of America thinks that sex outside of marriage is a sin. The Bible is like super clear. <laughs> Couldn't be more clear. Boy, you don't want to see the breakdown on this in age groups. Because you get to the young, it's like 80%. The following behavior, 80% don't believe that. Following behavior is sinful abortion. The sex and abortion are linked, right? If you want to have sex and just have it whenever you want, sometimes babies come out of that, and so it's linked to that. So only half of the country believes that that's wrong. Now, I love this one right here. Only 57% of people believe that it's fair for God to show his wrath against sin. <laughs> Talk about making religion in our own image. I get to do whatever I want to do, and God doesn't get upset at me no matter what. Even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. Now, well, here's the hypocrisy of this one. Watch this. When we talk about certain sins, particularly LGBTQ and so on, they'll say, well, one sin's just like the other. And there's a real truth in that, right? But there's not, apparently, because 74% of people say that there is a difference in sins. <laughs> so in one context, we'll say there's no difference between sins. In another context, we'll say, well, the ones that I commit, they don't keep me out of heaven. God is the author of Scripture. Only 58% of people. 70% are Christians and only 58% of them believe that God authored it. God breathed it. The Bible was written for each person to interpret as he or she chooses. <laughs> there you go. Just make it up the way you want it. Okay? 51% will say that. The Bible has the authority to tell us what to do. Only 50% believe that. This is why people aren't reading it. Look, there's two reasons why people aren't reading their Bible. One is because they don't understand it. We have this thing called soap. If you'll really pursue soap, you'll get to where you understand it every single day in a very real, applicable way to you, period. And if you're not having that happen, I love you. I don't care if you think you should have known this and you're embarrassed to come talk to me. Come talk to me. I'm begging you. I can work through something with you, and in a month or two, you'll, the word will be alive to you, and you'll want to read it. It has to do with soap and so on. But anyway, bottom line, the Bible has the authority to tell us what to do. Only 50% of people say so. Here's what 44% of people agree, that the Bible is helpful but not literally true. It just keeps going, right? Here, here's one. There's one true God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, what did it just say? Read that with me. There is one true God in three persons, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 69%, 70% of people will say that. But then the Holy Spirit is a force, not a personal being. And 56% of people will say that. <laughs> you can't do that. You just can't answer the survey that way. You just don't get to. And I love the way that one, 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 author, said, one author said about this, because here's how he said it. He said, the Holy Spirit is, of course, used to being overlooked, but sources say he seemed bummed about these results. <laughs> I don't mean to handle with levity things that are serious, but, you know, come on. Right? I think a lot of times laughing about this stuff helps us realize how deep it really is. And so... We're going to do something right now, something that I've asked you to do. Thank you. If you brought your cell phone, I want you to get your cell phone out now. If you got your tablet out now and everything else, okay? And we're going to do something right now. Now, here's, here's what I want you to understand. This is what Lake Sam is about, helping you grow in him, helping you be discipled by him. That's what we're about. We've been in Luke for 15,000 years after this point. We are all about helping us grow in him. That's it, right? Now, here's what those results just showed us. Even in a church like ours, there's gonna be a whole lot of people that believe a whole lot of different things. And we need to know that. We need you to be honest. We need you to be fair. We need you to be, because here's what happened. This group that we've been working with for a number of years now called GLUE, they bought all that research that Willow Creek did about what makes people grow in God and almost even more importantly, what stops people from growing in God? Where do they get stuck? And we took a Reveal for Church survey a few years ago, which is the, which is, this is the next version of it. This is a deeper version of it. But we took this survey as a church some years ago and we discovered a whole lot of areas that a whole lot of people in this church were stuck and then we started working on them. And then we took another survey two years later and they weren't stuck on those things anymore. So when people told us what was really going on with them, we were able to get a real solution to it and help everybody grow. Because that's the only thing we care about here. And that's what they did is they've been saying, you guys have been working with us so hard on this personal discipleship app. You're gonna hear more about it in the coming weeks. But you, we've done an enormous amount of work, okay? And what we did was, is we went after how to help them make this personal discipleship tool better. And what they said was, is we now have this church app that help, they go together, they're hand in hand. One is on a personal level and one is on a church level, but they're about the same thing. What's going on, really? And then how to help you. And so the bottom line is, now listen to this, guys. Thank you for all those beta testers because you know what you just did for us? You saved us about 5,000 bucks because they gave us a survey that was worth thousands of dollars that churches all over the country are starting to take. And they just gave it to us because they said, thank you for what you're doing. We want you to have this tool along with the other one, the personal one, because these are meant to go hand in hand and, and pass off things back and forth, okay? So with that in mind, I told you, and I told you last week, and I'm telling you now, I'm asking you, pull out your device. If you don't have a device, raise your hand. Ushers, come forward. They're going to give you a paper version of what others are going to be doing online. What? Oh, can, well, can we just have ushers grab them? So raise your hand if you don't have a device here, okay? 
If you don't have a phone or a tablet or something like but, that that you but, can do it on. But Kurt, I do have some devices that are available for people who don't. You have, have a couple extra devices. Yeah. Back at the table. In do the we want to do that? I think it's going to be complicated. I think uh, you got it. You got this. But if you want to do it on somebody else's device, you're going to have to download it and log in, and we can show you how to do that. It's going to be a little complicated though. So we can get it. The thing on the paper ones is that we'll just enter your information for you, okay? But don't think you can go home and do this because we're not doing that, okay? We need you to do this now. Now here's what's going on. On your phone, you text 797979. The number you text to is 797979. In the message of the text, like where you say hi, put in the word reveal. Over here, fill up two. Now what'll happen is, is that it will immediately bounce you back a thing. By the way, let me do something right now. Go to your device and log into our wireless. We spent good money on this wireless in order to make sure that everybody always had a connection here. So the phone in here works kinda not so good, so depending on your carrier, but not so good. But connect to our Wi-Fi, it's good, fast, strong, and we got tons of it, okay? Tons of bandwidth. So it's, it's what does it say, Lake Sam Guest? Is that what the name of it is? Okay, so hook up to the wireless. What's that? Just says Lake Sam? Great. So just hook up to the Lake Sam one. There's no password. You just hook up to it, and then your device will work faster. Okay. By the way, if you're taking the test and it crashes, don't worry about it. Just go back to your link that comes in your text answer. Click it again. It'll take you back to where you crashed. You see what I'm saying? It won't, it won't make you start over again. Okay? Now, if you're on a tablet or a computer and you don't want to do the texting thing, you can go to HTTP, glue, app, link, Lake Sam, Lake Samish, Lake Samish? Lake Samish, info. Lake Samish, foe. That's kind of nice, foe. Okay. But you get the point. So Greg's going to come up here and Greg is going to give us a little bit of instrumentation behind us. This will take about 15 to 20 minutes, maybe a little longer. Go ahead. Uh, when you, you have to do it the way we're telling you to do it. No matter if you have the app on your phone or not, you have to go to 7979, text reveal, and then you have to log in. You have to, it'll, it'll give you a login. You have, if you've never signed up for it before, you have to put in an email and a password. That'll create an account for you. If you've been one of our beta testers, you'll be logging into it, but it'll take you right to the survey. Um, is there any way we can get a phone on the overhead? I should have done this. Yes. Yes. But you do it from the link. You have to do it from the link. Don't go to your store and do it. What I'm telling you is, is retext it. Is anybody? Is that really happening with anybody? They're not getting a, a link. They're not getting a response. Oh, is that what it is? So we're just hitting their servers with a lot of requests. It'll work, but here's the point. You have to use the link to get to the survey. Otherwise, it'll just take you to the app. Okay? So, so do that. Get to the app, and then it'll say, get started, and get started, and then it'll start asking you a bunch of questions. And just answer the questions, honestly. Okay? Now, when you're having a problem, raise your hands. 
We've got about five people around the building who know how to fix this stuff, and they'll help you through it. So raise your hands, and we'll come and help you with it, okay? Chantel, right there. Okay, if you're having problems getting logged in or getting to the survey. Okay, some people up front are telling us the first time they clicked the link, it downloaded the app, and then they signed in, but they didn't get to the survey, so they had to click the link again, and then having the app on their phone, it got them to the survey. It's probably an operating system issue where it does some right and it doesn't link other ones properly. Okay, so just keep clicking the link. And like I say, if you, if you drop the link, there's one right back there, Becca. If you drop the link, then just go back to that link. If you drop it, if you survey, go back to the link and go back to it, okay? All right? When you're done, take communion, we're done. Okay, but please do me a favor, don't leave and say, oh, I'll do this at home. We really need everybody here to do this, okay? If you're not a Lake Sammer, then please don't do it, okay? We just really need people that are here at Lake Sam to do this. So if it's your first time here, love you, but go out in the lobby, we got donuts and coffee for you. What, what, Amy, what? Okay, can somebody, Is anybody else having that problem where it's not downloading the app? Are you sure you're hooked up to our Wi-Fi? Because the Wi-Fi is what should fix that that fast. We should have be we should be able to take over 300 people on Wi-Fi at once. Say what? You yeah, that's probably it right there. You gotta log into Wi-Fi Guest in this room. If you're logged into Wi-Fi office, the Wi-Fi is not gonna help you because you don't have the password, okay? So you gotta log into Wi-Fi, you gotta log Lake Sam guest on your Wi-Fi. Do you see that? It doesn't say guest? If you're having a problem, raise your hands. Okay. By the way, as soon as we get done taking this, we're gonna do our business meeting. So grab a cup of coffee, grab a donut, whatever, come back, okay? I, I do wanna say we tested all of this several different ways, so we shouldn't have a problem technically. It may take a minute, but we shouldn't have a problem. You still having a problem, Josh? Is it fixed? It worked? So are you taking the survey then? Thank you, Josh. But you gotta take the survey. <laughs> Raise your hand if you need help. Adam, you got somebody right behind you. 
Sharon Becker. <laughs>